Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and I'm glad that you're here worshiping with us. The Bible gives us a command to honor our mothers and our fathers. And so we want to actually take the Bible seriously when it comes to doing that. And so we're going to have a little fun right now. So I'm actually looking for, there comes a point in your life where age doesn't matter. In fact, it's kind of like, it's a bragging right. So I'm actually looking for the mom in the room. I'm wondering, so at the last service, our oldest mom was 103 years old, almost 104. Like, that's crazy, right? So I'm looking for it. Have we got a mom in the room who's over the age of 90? It's a good thing. Right here? Have we got, we got a couple? Have we got a couple? This is really, really cool. So without being, how old are you? 96. That's amazing. Did we have one back over here? I thought I saw one right here. There's here. How old have we got? 91. Well, then 96 is the winner right here. God bless you. And happy Mother's Day to you. We'll leave those right there and you can take them home. God bless you. I love that. That's fantastic. Okay. Now, I'm looking for the youngest mom in the room because you need encouragement and support. So anybody in the room have a baby under two months? Under two months. Right up here? Okay. Awesome. Anybody else under two months? I'm looking around. I think this might actually be so simple. You've got to be kidding. How, how old's your little one? Oh, my. How precious is that? How old? Five weeks. That's incredible. Here's what we can tell you. You will get to sleep someday. Someday soon. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. We're so glad. That's really cool. You know, I've got one more because there are ladies in our church who are spiritual mothers. They're spiritual moms. They look after so many of us. They pray. They are warriors. They don't let anything knock them down. I mean, and they move in the direction of the spirit all of the time. And so we have a lady. She's sitting right up over here. She's going to punch me in the shoulder as soon as we're done because she doesn't like the attention, but she's a prayer warrior. She has been through a lot in the last year, but I'll tell you what, when it comes to moms, you don't get any better than Emily Higginbotham. So, Emily, happy Mother's Day, Em. We love you so much. So good. That's just fun. And because it is Mother's Day, I want to say uh, hello online uh, to my mother-in-law, Laurel's mom, who's a fantastic mom. My mom, Shirley, is watching from Brandon, Manitoba. Sometime today, she'll be listening. And I also want to say happy Mother's Day to the wife, or to my wife and the children. My mother's, how do I, boy, I got my words all the time. So she's my wife, and she's the mother of our children. Her name's Laurel. She's sitting right over here. And can we say happy Mother's Day to Laurel, too? Thank you. How can you mess that up, right? It's mom's day. Great that you're here with us today. I have a question for you. Would you be willing to apply for this job posting if this was the job description? Here we go. Long-term team players needed for challenging permanent work often in often chaotic environments. Candidates must possess excellent communication and organizational skills and must be willing to work variable hours, which include evenings and weekends and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. 
Some overnight travel required, including trips to primitive camping sites on rainy weekends and endless sports tournaments in faraway cities. Travel expenses are not reimbursed. Extensive courier duties also required. Under responsibilities for the rest of your life, you must be willing to be hated at least temporarily until someone needs money. Must be willing to bite your tongue repeatedly. Also must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule and be able to go from zero to 60 in three seconds flat in case this time the screams from the backyard are not coming from someone crying wolf. You must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as small gadget repair, mysteriously sluggish toilets, and social media management must screen phone calls, texts, and emails for multiple clients while maintaining calendars and coordinating production of multiple homework projects, must have the ability to plan and organize social gatherings for clients of all ages and mental outlooks within one hour's notice, must be willing to be indispensable one minute and in a complete embarrassment the next, must handle assembly and product safety testing of half a million cheap plastic toys and battery-operated devices, must also hope for the best but be prepared for the worst, must assume final and complete accountability for the quality of the end product. Responsibilities also include floor maintenance and janitorial work throughout the facility. Possibility for advancement and promotion, virtually none. Your job is to remain in the position for years without complaining, constantly retraining and updating your skills so that those in your charge can actually surpass you. Experience, none required, unfortunately, on-the-job training offered on a continually exhausting basis. Wages and compensation, get this, you pay them. Offering frequent raises and bonuses. A balloon payment is due when they turn 18 because of the assumption that college will help them become financially independent. And when you die, get this, you give them whatever's left. <laughs> the oddest thing about this reverse salary scheme is that you actually enjoy it and only wish that you could do more. Benefits. While no health or dental insurance or pension or tuition reimbursement or paid holidays or stock options are offered, this job supplies limitless opportunities for personal growth and free hugs for life if you play your cards right. Well, if your response to that job posting is, that sounds impossible, then on this day, you need to call and thank your mom. So to all the moms in the room, we thank you and we give you honor. There are so many times in scripture when God comes to a normal human being and asks them to do something impossible. A couple of examples. Hi, David, I need you to go and fight a nine-foot mercenary with nothing but a slingshot. Hi, Gideon, I need you to fight an entire nation. Oh, one thing, you can only take an army of 300 with you. Hi, Esther, I need you to win a national beauty pageant, become the queen, stop a national genocide conspiracy, and preserve my chosen people. Oh, and by the way, your only other source of support besides me is your aging uncle. Hi, Noah, I need you to build a boat. Even though you don't know what a boat is or what a flood is, I need you to build a boat and subdue an entire zoo while saving mankind. How about this one? Hi, Mary. I need you to be the earthly mother of the Son of God. And I'm sure her response at some point, along with all of these other people, was, but God, that sounds impossible. And it may sound impossible, but there's also a promise that comes along with it. Nothing is impossible with God. In Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, in John chapter 6, we find the followers of Jesus facing an impossible situation. 
Jesus has been teaching all day and a crowd has been growing. The number of people is heading towards 20,000, all told. It's getting late and the people are hungry. The disciples gather around Jesus and just like in the case of David, Gideon, Esther, Noah, and Mary, the Son of God lays out an impossible situation. He says, guys, you feed them. And I'm sure their response was the same as all of the other uh, Old Testament patriarchs and New Testament heroes we've seen. But, but, but God, that sounds impossible. How do you respond when you're facing an impossible situation? Do you panic? Do you pray? Do you run? Do you avoid the situation and pretend it's not happening at all? <laughs> well, let me read a compilation of four biblical stories of the feeding of the 5,000. It's an incredible miracle. I promise you fish will show up at some point. This story is actually one of only two miracles in Scripture that show up in all four Gospels, the other being the resurrection of Jesus, which means it's a big deal. It also isn't the feeding of the 5,000. That's a misnomer because I don't know why, but they only counted the guys. When you think of how their extended families would have joined together, it would have been between 15 and 20,000 people. So keep that in the back of your mind as I read this miracle moment to you. This is what's known as a, a harmony of the gospels. Luke 9 says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Same story, different book from Matthew 14. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. John 6, Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to have one bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves, two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? This is an amazing moment. You've got, you've got a huge crowd and, and they're hungry. And because they're hungry for a long period of time, it means they're starting to get a little bit angry, which means they're hangry. Some of you understand what that means. The followers of Jesus are overwhelmed with the scope of the need and they do what so many of us do when we're faced with an impossible situation. They freeze. They freak out just a little bit. They start looking for an escape route. And if you look at the story, you actually see some common approaches to an impossible situation. The first approach is simple. It's the panic approach. This is the approach that says, Jesus, are you kidding me? There are thousands of people right here and they're hungry and we're in the middle of nowhere. The closest market is hours away. There's no grocery store on the corner. Like, God, we're in an impossible situation here when it comes to food, and yet you've made this request. You said you give them something to eat. I'm sure their response was, Jesus, here's the problem with that request. This is the reality. We have nothing. We don't have food for ourselves, much less the thousands of people that you drew here because you wouldn't stop healing people and teaching God, we've got nothing going on. Have you ever felt that way? 
Have you ever come to a point in your life where you've said, God, I have no physical strength. God, I've got no finances. God, I have no capacity to try and put my family back together again. God, I don't have any forgiveness left to offer. God, I don't see any way in which I can tackle this God-sized problem. And because I don't see any options, I'm actually freaking out just a little bit. Take a moment and grab a hold of this truth. The first prerequisite for a miracle is an impossible situation. Let me say that again. The first prerequisite for a miracle is an impossible situation. When you've got nothing left to give, offer, try, make, or manufacture, it's the perfect moment to acknowledge God is God. So first approach is panic, not recommended. The second approach is the deferral approach. So instead of trying to solve this impossible situation, the disciples actually try to sidestep it. They begin to think along the lines of, hey, this is not my problem. Not my problem, these people didn't use foresight, you know, and look after a meal plan. They should take personal responsibility. They should have considered their own dietary and hydration needs. So the fact that they have no food, that is not my problem. That's what we end up saying, right? This is not my problem. Somebody else is going to have to figure this out on their own. Listen to the deferral reasoning from Matthew 14, 50. This place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Here are the disciples saying, Jesus, we can't feed them, so send them away. Make the problem disappear. Have you ever felt that? God, I just need you to make this problem go away. Make this sickness, this need, this family disagreement, this argument, this obstacle, whatever the mountain happens to be in your life, God, could you just please make it go away? Some of us have been there so unbelievably often. It's just like, God, I'm exhausted trying to deal with this need, so please, just make it go away. The disciples are just like, Jesus, just send them off. The third approach is the financial approach. The disciples get together and this is the outcome. They come to Jesus with this reasoning. Jesus, this does not pencil out. They elect a spokesperson. What's interesting to me is the spokesperson who comes forward is known as Philip the evangelist. Suddenly he's Philip the accountant, okay? John 6 verse 7, it says, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Philip's reasoning in his mind it's like, okay, Jesus, so, so I know you're God and, and I know you own the cattle on a thousand hills, but unless you begin a bovine liquidation sale, there, there's simply more need than resources. I mean, Jesus, we could take a 50% pay cut and everyone here would get a single bite. Your request to feed them ourselves, it's just not financially solvent, so you're gonna have to rethink your math. Has anyone else in the room ever noticed that God has a different math than we do? God has this uncanny ability to take nothing and multiply it, which means we show up, we trust him with what is not ours to begin with, and he begins to bless our sacrifice and he multiplies it. Let's take a look at one more approach. It's the scarcity approach. The disciples show up in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, we did inventory. And this is the conclusion. There's just not enough. Some of you have been there. 
You've got more bills than available funds. You've got five cents worth of resources and five dollars worth of need. And you come to God and say, God, I've looked at this from every possible angle and this is the only logical conclusion. There's simply not enough. Andrew, Peter's brother, even brings an example of the inventory forward. John chapter six, verse nine. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But here comes the line. But what are these for so many people? It doesn't say that the boy volunteered or just showed up on his own. It doesn't really say anything. All of a sudden, there's 12 grown men pointing at a little kid going, well, there's a kid over here who's got something. Can you imagine being the kid in that moment? Holding on to your lunch with everything that you got and suddenly somebody's volunteering forward and you're being conscripted. I'll tell you one thing. There's only one conclusion from this story. This kid must have had an awesome mother because he was prepared and we know that did not happen on its own, right? To all of the moms in the room, never underestimate the power of the little things that you do because they matter. They matter. And the older your children get, hopefully, the more they will recall all of the little things that you did and how grateful they should be for you in their life. The disciples are stuck looking at the lack, right? God, all we got is this kid with a lunch over here. They don't see the potential. I think we all arrive at this moment sometime in our lifetime, right? We come up short physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, and spiritually. Happens to all of us, right? We get sick and our body needs a miracle. We do our best to stay optimistic and hopeful, but but life happens and suddenly there's real grief and real depression and the weight is more than we can handle on our own. We do the very best we can to make ends meet, but, but the truth is the price of gas, the price of groceries, insurance, life is just more than we anticipated and we come up short. And sometimes we pour into our relationships. We do the best we can to stay together and work stuff out, but then someone just walks away and we're left wanting for so much more. Sometimes, spiritually, we come up short. We do our best to love God with everything in us, but we've got hard questions. And we may not have full understanding and we want to believe, but, but reality is telling us a very different story and the devil is asking us a question, so where did your faith in God get you this time? And we're struggling because we want to believe, but we just keep coming up short. And our life is hard. Life is chaos, and then we panic. Life is heavy, and we just want it all to go away. Life doesn't pencil out, and we're left wondering, how are we going to survive? And Life just doesn't make sense, and all we can see is scarcity. There's just not enough. So let's go back to the moment. You've got 12 disciples who've been following Jesus. Jesus just said, you feed them. You feed them. And the disciples are lost. What do you mean feed them? We can't, and it seems hopeless. But Jesus isn't done yet. Now, Jesus is just getting started Which means this, if you needed some encouragement today on Mother's Day, here's what you need to know. If you're not dead, God's not done. In fact, the best of what he may be doing in your life could be right in front of you. 
The book of John says Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. I love the truth of this story. Jesus Christ is not limited by human panic, avoidance, finances, or scarcity. That's is where Jesus invites us to take the same path that David and Gideon and Esther and Noah and Mary took with him. This is the path that opened up the Red Sea for Moses and the people of Israel. This is the path that took Peter over the side of the boat to walk on water. This is the path that took Jesus, the Son of God, onto a cross and into a grave. This is the path that every person who's ever accepted Jesus into their life has had to contemplate and act on. This is a completely different approach to life. This is an approach, unlike the other four, that opens the door to miracles. This is an uncommon approach to an impossible situation. It's called the faith approach. This is the approach that says, I may have nothing, but in Jesus, I have everything. This is the approach that keeps you up all night praying because the doctor said there's no hope, so you decided to appeal to the great physician who's the author of hope. This is the approach that says, I have no idea how God will provide, but I know that he will, and therefore I'm going to ask, believe, and trust in him. Faith says, as long as I'm here and breathing, I'm going to trust God even when everything around me screams, that's impossible. Here's another harmony of the story. Picture the kid standing there. Mark 6, 38, Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have? Then we jump to Matthew 14. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me. Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. I love the simplicity of this miracle. It's one question that reveals the response of God in the face of an impossible situation. Jesus just says, what do you have? What do you have? Your natural response is, I have nothing. But this isn't a natural moment. This is actually a supernatural moment, which means this. If you're here today and you have anything, God's ready. I could show up today and say, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, not sure what I'm going to preach, but this is what I have available to me right now. I have a dream and a pulse. I have a work ethic and time. I have today in this moment, I have my availability in the life God gave me. I have a voice that I can use to sing and preach God's praise. I have God's promises and his track record. I've got a lunch to share. I've got a God-sized need and a God who is greater. I have what I have and I'm going to share it with the God who gave it to me. I'm gonna release what I have in love, generosity, trust, and hope. And I'm gonna believe that the God who did a miracle for so many people in the Bible is also gonna do one for me. Do you see how beautiful that, that moment must have been? What do you got, guys? Five buns and two sardines. <laughs> awesome, bring them to me. Bring them to me. That's what happens next, bring them to me. 
And I picture it in my mind. Jesus grabs these five little barley loaves and he just starts picking pieces into a basket. And pretty soon, the disciples start doing a different kind of math. Like, now that bun is going a long way. You filled half of that, you filled half of that basket and, and, and you haven't even gotten to the end of the first piece of bread. What's the deal? And then he grabs a piece of fish and he starts like flicking it off. And I know it's not the lunch that you would have of choice, but this is actually pretty cool for the people of that day. And he starts filling a basket, filling a basket, filling a basket. Then he passes it to the disciples and says, go ahead guys, just start distributing. And then he just starts breaking more and more and more and more. And it goes on and on and on and on. And they are distributing a miracle in amongst the people. And pretty soon the people are starting to take notice. Like, uh, that was a little tiny lunch. You, you, you fed how many so far? Well, we're at 1,500, but don't worry, we're just getting started. And it begins to multiply and it begins to grow. And it teaches us a lesson. When I put what I have into the hands of Almighty God, faith unleashes an opportunity for a miracle. Now, when I hold on to what I have, it just stays with me. But when I release it back to God, life is transformed. Let me tell you a very personal story. About two years ago, I was very frustrated with my own spiritual condition. I've been a pastor for a long time, but, but it began to feel like I was just playing a role, just going through the motions. I was discouraged and I was a little panicked because pastors aren't supposed to have spiritual crisis. If I could sum it up, I would just say my relationship with Jesus felt stale and distant and I just kept coming up short. So I tried to defer my issue defer my angst by living off of the vibrancy of Laurel's walk with Jesus. Laurel has a passionate walk with Jesus. Everything in her life is about connecting with her Lord and Savior. And, and there were days I'm like, God, I just got to live off of some of that. Came to a point where I knew that wasn't going to work anymore. And I felt my only option was to confess my insecurity, humble myself, and after 30 years of being a pastor, come to God and say, could you completely rebuild our relationship? Because I don't know what else to do. I wanted so much more in my walk with Jesus, but starting over, it just felt impossible. Laurel kept encouraging me and she kept praying for me. She helped me see that what I struggled with the most was actually receiving the unconditional love of Jesus. I can preach about the unconditional love of Jesus for you every single weekend and believe it with every fiber of my being. But when it comes to the love of God for me, it's like... so easily preach it for everyone else but believing that God could love me just felt impossible experiencing the love of God without a bunch of conditions that I put on myself it just felt impossible and this is coming from the guy that, that straps a microphone to his head every weekend and talks about amazing grace for everybody else in the room 
slowly but surely through prayer and some really hard conversations with Laurel and my therapist, my heart started to change. My heart has always been soft and tender. You know that because you know how much I cry. But now, it was as if my heart was becoming softer and tender towards, towards me. My heart began to, to move in some different ways than I'd ever experienced before. My, my prayers moved from, from very formal to, to very free. My worship moved from lip service to his service. And I began to, to long for deeper times and longer times with Jesus and other stuff in my life just kind of lost its importance because Jesus became the most important. And a miracle happened for me that I know, that I know some of you are sitting here today going, Grant, I would so love to have one of those passionate, vibrant relationships with Jesus, but it, it just seems like it's so unbelievably cold and stale. I want to encourage you with something today. The miracle that God is doing, not done, but is doing inside of me is available for every single person. I found the relationship I had always longed for and it was so much more than I could have ever dreamed. And it's available to every one of us. If you feel like your love towards God has grown cold, it can come back alive again. You can put that heart in God's hands and he will take it and he will multiply it. He will move it outside of you and and allow you to dream in ways you've never dreamed before. Now, don't get me wrong. I still have really hard days, but I have found that Jesus is the one who always provides so much more than I could ever need in every single circumstance. And do you want to know what I brought to him in that moment? an open heart and an open hand. That's all I had. An open hand and an open heart. And in exchange, God gives you a life that you can only, only dream of. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he didn't come to take away, but to give us life and life to the full. So this is the point. God will use what and who is available to create his miracle. I want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't multiply the bread, take the baskets, and then start walking around to everybody else. No, do you know who he, who he enlists to help him? The guys who are struggling with the scarcity approach. The, the people who are freaking out, the people who are trying to defer the problem. He actually invites them and says, take a step closer, guys. I know you're struggling. Here's a basket. All I need is your hands and your feet. Off you go. Watch what happens. So this is a moment for you. Can you do me a favor? I I just want you to think for just a second. I want you to think of putting all of your pain in your shortcomings, in your hurt, in your disillusionment. Take the worst of you and the best of you, like your very best effort. I I want you to picture putting it in your hands, walking it up to the Jesus who just fed 20,000 people with next to nothing. And I actually want you to picture it, laying down everything you have 
putting everything in your hands into his hands. If it helps, you can take everything, all of that, you can lay it at the foot of the cross. Here's what I promise what will happen. The second that you lay it down, Jesus will pick it up because that's who he is. I want you to picture it, all of that angst, pain, panic. I want you to picture it leaving your hands and being placed into his. All of you is in his hands, just like the bread and the fish. And it seems so small. And it seems so insignificant. But don't miss this in the story. In that moment, God begins to multiply. And what you think is not enough is more than enough when you put it in the hands of Jesus. And then this happens. Then you get to enjoy the overflow. I love the promise of overflow. If you read this story, God doesn't just fill every belly in the story. He even provides leftovers. Twelve basketfuls. And we could get into all different kinds of the biblical symbolism of twelve baskets. But I want you to know something. All of that, that abundance is available to each one of you today. And whatever you're facing, wherever life doesn't pencil out for you, or it just keeps coming up short, here's the miraculous promise of God to you. Ephesians 3. You ready? Here it comes. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever 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 and past this Mother's Day and next Mother's Day and the Mother's Day after that, forever and ever and ever, all of the glory exceeding your expectations. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or even imagine, to him be glory forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. So... So it comes down to a simple question. Where do you need a miracle today? Take what you have, bring it to Jesus. Have faith that God can, and then watch what God will do. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine. And Lord, whatever miracle people are looking for and dreaming of today, I pray that they would bring all of themselves and place themselves at your feet or in your hands. God, I thank you that none of the approaches we talked about at the beginning work. But Lord, when we come with faith, Lord, in those moments, we get to see miracles. 
God, I pray for every brother or sister today who's looking and dreaming for exactly that today. God, I need a miracle. May this story be a reminder that when we surrender what we have, that you are just getting started. So God, as we lay all of ourselves at your feet today, may our lives be transformed. May our hearts be changed. God, give us that passionate relationship that we all dream of. Lord, thank you for being you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. 11.15, will you stand with me for just a couple minutes more? Here's what we understand at Christ the King. We understand that Mother's Day is not easy for everybody. And our answer to moments when life is hard is to pray. That's what we do. So if you're here today and your relationship in your family is not what you dream it to be, we'd love to pray with you. If you're someone today who who dreams of being a mom and there have been obstacles, we'd love to pray with you. We want you to know that this is a safe place. And we don't pretend that life can't be really difficult sometimes. But we also know there is a God of miracles who loves to hear the cry of our hearts. So if you need prayer today, instead of going that way, you're going to come this direction. We would love to pray with you with our prayer team. If you are walking that direction, we've got a beautiful photo booth out in the comments. Take a moment, get a picture as a family. It will be a great memento for you being here today on this Mother's Day. To everybody in the room, to everybody online, God bless you. Thank you for coming. We'll see you back here in six days. God bless.